Bookstack with Richard Aldous, the Books and Ideas podcast brought to you by AmericanPurpose.com. You can check our website for all the latest commentary and analysis, and it's where you can find details of our events in person and online, including on December 16th, How Museums Preserve Diverse Memories, a conversation with Sarah Bon Harper and Rob Havers. Coming up on the show today, Brendan Burrell, author of the new book, The First Shots, the epic rivalries and heroic science behind the race to the coronavirus vaccine. Uh, Brendan, welcome to Bookstack. Hi, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here. So congratulations on the new book. And, and of course, this is the story of the rush to find a vaccine. That's right. What an, what an incredible story. Uh, we, we did it in a record time, <laughs> 11 months from sequence to rollout. I mean, it's, it's one of the incredible things to think, actually, and, and it's right at the start of your book that we, we actually forget how complacent we were. You, you have this great scene, Davos 2020, where all the leaders of uh, various governments and businesses and go global clap- capitalism are all meeting. They're totally unperturbed. Even the head of AstraZeneca uh, is saying, you know, this probably isn't too much to worry about. And of course, as we know, shortly thereafter, pretty much the whole world shut down. <laughs> Shocking, right? I mean, hindsight is, is twenty twenty, But yes, these are the, the leaders of the biggest vaccine companies. And they were they did not see an opportunity. <laughs> It's one of one of the things that I really like about the book is that it, it does present complex characters in complex situations that you don't try to make this a, a kind of easy story with just a good a good people and bad people. But not the least of those complex characters is Robert Cadleck, the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, uh, quite a title there, uh, at the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, uh, tell us a bit about his background and, and why is he such a pivotal figure in the story yeah i I was definitely drawn to cadillac and i appreciate you pointing out these these complicated characters this as a historian you must uh, have have due uh understanding of that um there there's and especially in a crisis like this there was not always one right answer or and uh, and and all these people were, were challenged in so many different ways and I found Bob Cadillac to be a really sympathetic character because this is a man, he's a military man. He came up in the Air Force. He was in special operations and became a, a, a bioweapons expert. He was actually a medical doctor as well. Um, and he's leading this tiny little office in the government um, that you point out we call it the ASPR. Um, it's, it's this obscure organization, 800 people compared to like 10,000 at the CDC. And at the start of the pandemic, those first months in 2020, when nobody knew what was going on and the CDC was not really moving very fast, everything kind of fell on Dr. Cadillac's lap because he's like the action, the action figure running this kind of special operations office there with the cruise ship evacuations, with trying to get supplies out to everybody. And he was also the recipient of a great deal of the blame of everything that went wrong. Um, and I think, you know, in, th- th- there were a number of very critical articles of him. And then he was because he was a political appointee, a Trump appointee, you know, he was also sort of smeared in that way. But even within the Trump administration, he was not very well liked. And what I try to talk about in the book is kind of his his position and his beliefs and and why he kept moving forward, because he ultimately becomes one of this 
these key players in developing Operation Warp Speed, our, our vaccine program. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting because uh, one of the things that I do find intriguing about Cadillac is that that he kind of acts as the canary in the coal mine in, in some ways, that even pre-COVID, he comes into the department, he pretty much thinks it's hopeless. He's a reformer. He's constantly saying we have to have uh, vaccine preparedness again before COVID. He's reminding people about George Washington and how he inoculated uh, his troops against smallpox. But as as you show at, at almost every level, whether it's the White House, whether it's Congress, Washington more generally, there's just no interest that pe- people almost just don't believe in pandemics. There's, there's total complacency. Uh, I think the phrase that you use is that everyone is playing the short game. <laughs> It's a naughty problem. How do you how how do you decide how much money to invest in this very low risk event? You know, a once in twenty years, once in a hundred years pandemic. Um, and you know, so if you're the guy who's the pandemic guy, of course you're going to be more enthusiastic about it than everybody around you. Um, and so I think yeah, he was hitting he was hitting a brick wall in in a, in a lot of ways. Um, and we saw that you know really play out in the early days of the pandemic when we were not adequately prepared with our supply chain and other issues. And and that actually, I mean, you mentioned it right at the beginning, the, 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 the sense of speed um, is part of what's so impressive because you have this incredibly sluggish, almost not interested uh, bureaucracy and, and political establishment, and yet that almost turns on a dime. And you you show how Cadillac manages to persuade Trump, the, President Trump, that once the pandemic is underway, that that things have got to change and that the vaccine could be the way out. So so the uh, Donald Trump convenes this summit of leading drug companies and he asks that that crucial question can we get a vaccine <laughs> that's right yeah you're talking about this meeting in march the the drug makers summit and this is you know this is a pivotal moment in the story um just to rewind to you know my view of how the pandemic unfolded was there was a period of january with davos where there's a lot of confusion among scientists and policymakers about how seriously to take things February, we had the cruise ship outbreaks, and that was really the turning point when it was becoming clear how big this mess was. And then, you know, Trump goes along, he invites these drug makers to his office. But I think a key point is there's a question reporter asks, like says, hey, some of these drug makers said they need more money. And Trump says, I don't think they need money. They just need time. Because that was, I think the story of COVID was also a story about fiscal conservatism um, because the administration had a lot of tightwads, as I call them, um, who were very opposed to any type of government intervention. And the uh, uh, pandemic challenges that question. And Operation Warp Speed, which is Trump's legacy, is, of course, the opposite. It's like this massive infusion of cash to uh, private industry and to the country. <laughs> yeah, and you 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 actually show. In fact, there's a there's a lovely scene which which takes place just before the launch of of, of uh, Operation Warp Speed in May. But the previous month, you set the scene with Cadillac standing in his office. He's up there by the by the board with a marker pen, uh, and he writes down Manhattan Project. Re, you know, referring to the obviously to the uh, to the invention of the atomic. Bomb. And, and and you make a really good case that really that 
that's what we're talking about here. This is something like the Manhattan Project or the project to get to the moon that is bringing all of the resources and the might of American science and industry to producing this vaccine in record time. Yeah, I mean, the Operation Warp Speed you, was was kind of what the country needed to be doing back in January when we in February when we saw this chaos of all these you know, the American system, government system is you've got multiple branches, you've got multiple departments, especially like the health department. There's this huge, messy bureaucracy. There's different philosophies. There's like the public health people. There's the basic researchers. And and they, they often are not talking to each other. And Catholic's vision for Operation Warp Speed was we need kind of a unifying structure. We're going to bring the Department of Defense, which the Manhattan Project had done, because that's, you know, that's discipline. That's the military um, mission focused. And then we're going to bring in all of these uh, uh, folks from the health department, including the you know, vaccine experts. And we're going to you know, drive forward. Um, and so. So, yeah, I think the, the one of the themes of the pandemic response was this this idea of an operational mentality. There was a lot of criticism of the Centers for Disease Control for not being operational, being a little more academic, a little more focused on, you know, sort of measuring things and getting everything just right, which is great when you're not facing an emergency. You know, you need to be more more proactive. And, and Cadillac was Mr. Operations. Yeah, and that, as Donald Trump says in that meeting on May the May the fifteenth, my administration will cut through every imaginable piece of red tape. So a, a sense that the normal everyday business as usual uh, bureaucracy that's just not going to work in this situation. Right, and I mean that's you know that was that's also kind of a hint, a little foreshadowing, like a. <laughs> Chekhov's a gun hanging on the on the wall in his short stories, because, of course, cutting through red tape, it sounds great on paper, but we're talking about a vaccine that's going to go out to millions of people and has to be safe and effective. And who gets to decide that? The regulators at the Food and Drug Administration. And so we're preparing for a face off between people who want to move fast and people who want to make sure everything's done just right. Yeah, it's 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 one of the things that as well that I do find interesting before we move to that face off when you're thinking about Donald Trump that it it is one of those strange things about the book. I, I actually came away with a very clear sense actually that by and large Operation Warp Speed was a success that uh, but but that it couldn't have happened without a disruptor uh, like Donald Trump. But, you know, I think that uh, a lot of people would say that he got a lot wrong, but this one big thing he did actually seem to get right and that story that's going to be quite difficult I think for quite a lot of people to take in especially considering the events of January 6th and so on yeah that's that's a fascinating point to make I mean that that you know the pre this is a president who uh you know has sort of been uh an opponent of science in many ways he's um not a supporter of big government and and all of these things and he doesn't um uh, you know, he, he most of his actions are all about himself. Um, and I think w what happened with Warp Speed was that he the president wanted COVID to go away one way or another. He's very impulsive. You know, first it was hydroxychloroquine, the miracle cure. And then once, you know, it, it, it became clear that COVID wasn't going to go away easily. People his who worked for him were trying to deny it. 
Um, but warp speed sort of that's the funny thing. It was a program that was many in the established scientific community did not think was possible. There was a lot of criticism. There were a lot of people saying this was unsafe. But because of the chaos within the administration and because of sort of Trump's go it alone, you know, I'm going to do what I feel like and I'm going to try to make the American people happy. You know, yeah, he, he was like, sure, let's go for it. <laughs> Who cares what the, the scientific community says? And so, yeah, I think that the uh the the boldness of it was favored by by where it came from and it it, it is one of the i don't want to draw you into politics obviously but it but it is one of the mysteries isn't it that uh, why uh, donald trump and, and the republicans haven't claimed more credit for the vaccines and warp speed well it's it's definitely been uh complicated i mean it, it initially you know, he, he was initially the supporter of the program. As you say, there was a big rollout at the White House. You know, he, he liked being on stage and he liked presenting a new program that was going to make people optimistic. Um, but, you know, then when during the, the election season in, in November, it was, of course, he was at loggerheads with the FDA and even some of the vaccine companies because he felt like they were slowing down purposefully to foil his election prospects. Um, and then you know, I think I think after that, we, we sort of, and as you point out, there's the January 6th revolt and there's suddenly this complete change of, of administration and who's in charge of the vaccines, the Biden administration. And, you know, I think the, the Republicans needed a villain at that point and it became the vaccines. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that you talk about the, the change of administration, because one of the things that I actually felt really forcefully in the book that you'd spent the, you know, a, a lot of the book outlining the, the incredible job that uh, Cadillac did, that he didn't get everything right, but he, but he got a lot right. But, but of course, in the middle of this pandemic, with the vaccines just being rolled out, you have that thing where there's a new administration and Cadillac leaves the administration uh, or leaves government when the administration changes, which in normal times would not be an unusual thing. But d d doesn't that seem everything that is dysfunctional about the American system? Because where's the continuity? Where's the institutional memory? Where's the bipartisan recognition that a man who's been in the job maybe should be still helping to deliver as the vaccines get rolled out? That That struck me as almost the most um, gobsmacking moment in the entire book, actually, uh, when this man was just simply shunted to the sidelines. Yeah, I mean, the transition process is never easy when you're going from one party to the other. Um, I, here, I think that we have about, what, 4,000 political appointees in the government, but there's, a, you know, the ranks of career employees with that institutional memory remains, and there's many more of them. But the tr yeah, I mean, this transition is, is never easy. Some folks do stay, but the, it was the process had been so tainted by the, uh, the Trump's refusal to accept the election results um, that there was just no trust there, which was just frightening amid a pandemic. Um, and for Cadillac, he had been so, you know, he'd been painted as, as such a negative figure in the media. And as though, and, and I mean, it's funny the way he was painted as kind of that there was no light between him and, and the administration, when in fact, in reality, he was a very reluctant participant, or reluctant to be, you know, you know, given a political label, but he was fundamentally a political appointee. And so that was that was the dilemma.
Yeah, and that you have that uh, that quite touching moment at the end where one of the last things that uh, Donald Trump does is to uh, give co- commendations to I think it's fifty different people uh, for everything that they've done in in terms of developing the vaccine, and of course Cadillac's not one of them. <laughs> no, that was just yeah one last blow. I mean, there was there were so many childish things that happened within the administration. It was like a you know a high school or kindergarten <laughs> kids fighting each other um so there, there were yeah all these interpersonal battles and and so yeah i think uh, that was mostly a, a jared kushner thing i think who you know as i write in the book was one of the great defenders of warp speed but he really did not like cadillac <laughs> so do, do, do you think that the biden administration's response to covid19 would have been uh, more proficient if some of these kind of characters uh, had been held on and there had been a more bipartisan uh, approach once the new administration came in you know i i think there there was a lot of sort of political stuff that happened. I mean, number one, they, you know, they immediately got rid of the name Operation Warp Speed. There were a number of statements made that the Trump team had completely failed to deliver a distribution plan. Um, and they sort of had these ideas that they were going to do mass vaccination sites and all of this, you know, but, but actually, I mean, the layer, that layer of, of folks in Warp Speed, including like military employees, um, you know, General Perna, uh, who was this four-star general who was the official head of Warp Speed. Um, he stayed on through the summer, and many of the folks who were familiar with how the thing worked stayed on. And, I mean, they told me, listen, things did not change that much. It got a little more bureaucratic. Um, it was harder to get answers from the... There was a, a new doctor installed to help advise it, a guy named David Kessler. Um, and David Kessler wouldn't sort of give them the direct answers that they sometimes had. He would have to go back to the White House and ask... Um, but I don't, you know, I, I, I actually think that most of the consist, there was consistency and there was a lot of stuff happening that inside Operation Warp Speed that was just, you know, the same thing that happened before the transition. <laughs> it, was, it was just the public press statements, which are buried. And uh, although you do say uh, towards the end of the book that uh, quite a lot of people who'd been involved in in warp speed, they look back with a, uh, not exactly a nostalgia, uh, but but to the the kind of all to the the days when they were racing for the vaccine, that there didn't seem to be the urgency or buzz, I think is the word that you use um, of Operation Warp Speed today. Now, presumably, given everything that's happening with uh, Omicron and and so on, and the fact that we're not done with this uh, with with COVID yet, they're going to have to get a bit of that buzz back, aren't they, I think? Yeah, I think, you know, going after the vaccine, I mean, I can't imagine feeling more, you know, like you have a more important mission than being working every day in the government and and trying to drive forward to that first approval. But afterwards, uh, there was a sense like, what's next? Are we going to go on a global mission? Are we giving vaccines to the world? And they they actually it took them a while to get an answer from the Biden administration about what their mission is going to be. And again, Operation Warp Speed, it was going to be kind of this temporary program because the government has all these agencies that normally do vaccine development on a smaller level. There's the National Institutes of Health. There's this obscure agency, BARDA, that was in Cadillac's office. Um, And so the question was, when do those things sort of fold back to their usual tasks? They're going to continue to work on the coronavirus, but it's not going to get you know, it's its own name. Um, and, and, 
Yeah, I, I think, but I, I think what I've seen over this last last few months is that 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 did not go over without a hitch. I mean, the global mission was very slow. Um, it was, hasn't been very successful so far. We've made some donations, but these these uh, negotiations with vaccine companies have been very fraught. And then this the variant program. I mean, look, the CDC was supposed to be really tracking variants, but took us forever to identify, uh, not forever, but several, you know, at least a week longer than the, the South Africans to identify Omicron here in the country. So our variant surveillance program is not of the scale that it needs to be. Um, so that's, uh, you know, this, what are we, uh, 12 months after the transition, 11 months after the transition, and they, they have not ramped that up. So that is disappointing. And in, in some ways, that goes back to the Cadillac point even before the pandemic, isn't it? That, that you have to be ahead of the game. The, the phrase that you use in the book is that with these kind of new variants that you have to keep chasing them. We, we have to be proactive in, in, in how we face this. Right. I, I think, you know, it's, it's the variants are, you know, it's kind of a whack-a-mole approach. What's the next one coming up? You need to have some surveillance to actually get ahead of the game a little bit. And then I think part of this is the scientific challenge of creating a more, a broader spectrum coronavirus vaccine, sort of, you know, this vaccine, you know, it seems like the the original wild type, the original coronavirus strain vaccine is actually effective at, against some variants, but others are able to evade that immunity. Um, and I think in the future, creating a pan-coronavirus vaccine is going to be the, the ticket. But I don't think we're there scientifically. And that's that's a challenge. So what do you think that from having done, uh, written this book, done the research on this, uh, on this process of, of finding the vaccine, what do you think we've learned for the next outbreak of whatever it may be? At the, the beginning of the book, you give some... Uh, quite uh, scary uh, scenarios of, of what those things could be. But, you know, what will our response plan be? Have we learned lessons? Uh, has has this been something not just to been about producing a vaccine for this pandemic, but something more systemic that we can take going forwards? Yeah, I was just on a, on a, a panel with uh, Matt Hepburn, who was a character in the book. He was one of the vaccine leaders in Operation Warp Speed, and he's now uh, going to be working as the, the pandemic leader at the White House. And he shared with me kind of this this long white paper about pandemic preparedness. And it just, I mean, it hits all of the, the right points. You know, we need to fix the supply chain for medical supplies, like in 95 masks, have this stuff being onshored, make sure we have the vaccine capacity, because part of Operation Warp Speed was a scramble to actually find factories that could make vaccines at scale. And, you know, one of Hepburn's goals is let's get um, make sure that we have enough vaccine capacity to make, you know, several hundred million doses of any vaccine within a few months. Um, so we're prepared for the next outbreak. And then there's other things about how the agencies should work together. And it's a beautiful white paper. It's sort of all of the lessons we've learned from the pandemic. The question is whether this is going to be implemented. I think he puts a price on it um, as somewhere uh, like he, he, he his frame of he's a military guy an army doctor so his frame of reference was you know some military defense programs but somewhere between like 20 billion dollars and 60 billion dollars over you know 10 years so it's not a huge amount that they're that they think we need um and so i think it is doable it's just a question of whether there's the wherewithal within um within the government to do it and to do it right
Yeah, and I, I suppose in in some ways that's a, a positive thing, isn't it? Because I mean, if you obviously setting aside the money, that kind of the thing that I took from the book was that you need a, a disruptor like Donald Trump when you're at the start of the process to just blow through the system and to kind of literally upset the apple cart. But you know, afterwards you do need uh, people who are thinking about this kind of thing in a very considered, systemic kind of way, presenting the kind of white paper. That that actually gives us cause for hope, doesn't it? I think I say that almost reluctantly. <laughs> I think so too. I think uh, we're not going to forget this pandemic anytime soon. And and uh, you know, I think the the other thing is, you know, these emerging infectious diseases are going to continue. They may not be coronavirus. They may be other threats. Um, and so I hope we're not just kind of over-indexed towards the virus, because we still have to worry about, say, an anthrax attack or some type of terrorist event. I know those are low probability events again, um, but this is, you know, this is, has to, you know, we need sustained efforts in all of these departments. So the book is The First Shots, The Epic Rivalries and Heroic Science Behind the Race to the Coronavirus Vaccine. It's written by my guest, Brendan Burrell, and published by Mariner Books. Uh, But for now, Brendan, congratulations again on the book, and thanks for joining us on Bookstack. Thanks for having me. So that's it from us this week. Don't forget to check our website, AmericanPurpose.com, and to leave us a review on your podcast app. The show is produced by Damir Marusik. Do join us again next week. But for now, this is me, Richard Alder, saying thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.